0: Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which is living and active, which is given to us for our edification, which are the words of eternal life. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would open our ears, open our hearts, to be illuminated by your spirit to hear your word, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make me a vessel where your word flows through, purify my speech, that I may speak what you want your people to hear. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, good morning again. So, uh, as I've said a few times, uh, and I'll say probably several more times, I am... Exceedingly excited to be here as your new pastor. Um, the, the fact that I have been called to be here is the end of, of a decade or longer journey, and um, it's been very exciting. It's been uh, a journey of faith. The next step has not always been as obvious uh, during that period. And so I stand here just humbly, uh, delighted, to be uh, your new pastor. And as we've gotten closer and closer to this day, and as we have gone through all of those processes of moving and saying goodbye to a church family, to say hello to you, it has reminded me of how similar becoming a pastor is uh, to the experience of getting married. And uh, it has all the joys and the tensions and the uncertainties uh, but also the brightness of the future that comes with, with coming to a wedding. And so I would let you know that I am as, as uh, nearly as excited, I, I should be careful, uh, <laughs> to be here as I was when I married Becky. And I also sense that you're very excited too. This is an exciting day. You've been looking for a pastor for a while. You've had some challenges along the way. Your hopes, uh, they're up Uh, You're filled with great expectations, and I am excited for you. But given all of this excitement, I think it is important that on this very first message, I spend some time explaining to you uh, what I want to be as your pastor, what sort of pastor I want to be for this church. And that is why uh, I want to start with focusing on the ministry of John the Baptist that we have in this passage today. As we look at the ministry of John the Baptist, I think we see some uh, similarities in the history of Israel to perhaps the moment that you guys uh, have been in. You see, Israel had been without a prophet for 400 years. They hadn't heard the voice of God. They were a people who were leaderless. They were a people who were confused. They were a people that had been challenged and uh, beat up by the forces around them. They had problems within, they had problems without. They were uh, a people that were wondering uh, if their best days were behind them. Now perhaps you can relate over the last year to some of those things. And in, if you can, then perhaps you can relate to that moment where all of the sudden, They heard the voice of God again. They heard the silence broken. That voice of God was back in the nation of Israel. And it was coming through John the Baptist. Can you imagine the excitement that they had when John the Baptist was speaking to them afresh the word of God? The excitement was intense. Every faithful Israelite was coming out to John the Baptist. They hung on his every word. They followed his every command. And they wondered, who could this be? And their hopes swelled. Their expectations were high. And they they wanted to know, could this perhaps be the answer to all of our hopes? And so they would ask him. Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the answer to all of our prayers? Are you the one who fulfills our hopes? Now, imagine for just a moment what might have happened if John the Baptist allowed that to maybe be true. If he suggested just a little bit that he was that person if he leaned into their excitement and tried to fulfill their hopes that he was the one that was the answer to everything that they needed? What would that have been like? What would that have meant? That would have been a tragedy. That would have been a tragedy for at least two reasons. One, John the Baptist is a mere man. And if he were there to try and fulfill the hopes of Israel, he would be crushed. He could not satisfy the expectations of the people of Israel. He could not be what they needed him to be no matter how hard he tried. And so he would be crushed. And the people who put their hope in him would be crushed too. To have the person that they thought was the answer to their hopes dashed them by human folly could have been worse than than the 400 years where they were waiting. But even even more importantly, if John the Baptist allowed the hopes of the people to be wrongly placed in him, he would have taken their hope away from Christ. He would have taken them from being able to truly rest in the one who can meet their expectations, who can comfort them and secure them and supply them eternal joy. So if John the Baptist blew the moment when the question was, who are you? Many, many people could have been uh, grievously uh, grieved. So John's message to these people was blunt. Don't hope in me. Hope in the one that I proclaim. And that's exactly where I want to start my ministry here with you. Your hopes are high, you're excited, and I'm excited for you. But at the end of the day, don't hope in me. Don't hope in the ministry that I will do. Hope in Jesus, whom I am here to proclaim. John the Baptist explains in our passage that true gospel ministry must always be about pointing to Jesus and not to ourselves. John is utilizing in this, in this answer in our text a parable from a wedding to help his people understand where his ministry fits with the ministry of Jesus. He says that there is a bride, there is a bridegroom, and there is the friend of the bridegroom, which in uh, our modern weddings is like the best man. He wants us to understand the bridegroom, he is Christ, he is the Messiah, he is Jesus. And the bride, they are the people of God. They are the church. And he, his ministry to the bride and the bridegroom, is like the friend of the bridegroom. He is the best man. His job is to serve the wedding of the bride, the church of the bridegroom of Christ. And so I want us to explore this parable to understand my uh, understanding of ministry, what I want you to experience, what I want you to have in this church. As we look at this parable, we are going to discover there are three ways that a gospel minister is to be like the friend of a bridegroom at a wedding. And briefly they are this. Like the friend of the bridegroom focuses everyone on the groom, the gospel minister's job is to focus you on Christ. Second, like the the friend of the bridegroom works for the success of the wedding, the gospel minister works to bring you into union with Christ. And third, like the friend of the bridegroom rejoices in the groom's voice, the gospel minister loves and rejoices in the word of Christ. Let's unpack each of these three ways a gospel minister is to be like the friend of the bridegroom as I think they will set us on the right path as we start our ministry relationship together. So let's look at that first way in detail. Just as the friend focuses everyone on the groom, the gospel minister's job is to point you to Christ alone. As we look in this passage specifically at verse 28, John tells us the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Okay, That's a clear picture. There's a bridegroom, there's a bride, there's the best man. The best man does not have the bride. Imagine if you were in the middle of a wedding ceremony and you had the bridegroom and the bride and you had the best man and the best man tried to step into the bridegroom's place. What a failure that would be. And so John the Baptist has, has placed this picture in front of us to see exactly where the minister cannot place himself. He cannot place himself in the place of the bridegroom. Not even accidentally. Not even partially. His identity is the friend of the bridegroom. And he cannot get between the bride's love for the bridegroom or the bridegroom's love for the bride. Jesus must be in the center because he is the bridegroom. And when John the Baptist uses this metaphor, this parable calling Christ the bridegroom, he is telling us two startling things to first century ears, and they should really still be startling to ours. First of all, John the Baptist, as a prophet, is in the tradition of the great prophets of the Old Testament, including Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he would know what the bridegroom was in the history of Israel, what the bridegroom was in the prophetic words of the past. The bridegroom of Israel was none other than the Lord Yahweh, the one and only God. Listen, for example, to Isaiah 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord. You see, when John the Baptist is saying, this man on the other side of the river is the bridegroom, he is putting Jesus in the same place as the the husband of Israel in the Old Testament, which is none other than than God himself. John the Baptist is telling us that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is a startling revelation. But the second revelation that John gives us when he calls Jesus the bridegroom is perhaps even greater. Because he is telling us that this Jesus, this Man who is to be the husband of the people of God loves his people like a husband loves a wife. That, my friends, takes the categories of God's love for his people and raises it to the ultimate. For there is no greater relationship of love in this world than that between a husband and a wife. And John is saying that your Savior, Jesus Christ, loves you as a husband loves a wife. Actually, it should be the other way around. A husband loves his wife as a reflection of the greater love that the Christ loves the church. So the best marriage in this room is only a dim reflection of the intense love love, and passion that Christ has for his church. What kind of a husband is Christ? We are told in the first chapter of John that he is the word that was with God. He lived in eternal fellowship, eternal joy, in a triune relationship with God the Father. And we are told that this one took on flesh. He entered into history. He entered into our human frailty He became one of us. He dwelt among us. From heaven, our Savior has come for us. He has left perfection and glory to be in flesh with us. But more than just coming down from heaven, we are told in the Gospels that he goes all the way to the depths of the misery of hell to bring us back to him. On the cross, he suffers the righteous wrath of God that all that has stained and blemished his people could be removed so that his bride, the people of God, could be his. The love that Christ has for his people is greater than any perfect love you could find between a husband and a wife. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. We're told in Isaiah 62 verse 5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Can you imagine that? Christ rejoices over us with the same exuberant joy. That a husband rejoices over his new wife on his wedding day. That's extravagant. That is beautiful love. By his own blood, he has made his bride white as snow. Are you guys familiar with snow? We have it where I come from. It, it happens a lot. It's very white, very pristine, it's white white that's the point it's white someday i'll bring a sample now as we understand the love of the bridegroom for his bride we need to understand the ministry of the friend of the bridegroom in that context the minister's job is to point you to Christ alone but that does not mean that the friend of the bridegroom does not possess love for both the groom and the bride okay It only means that my love is never to interfere with the love between the bride and the groom. So what does this mean? The minister is motivated out of love for Christ and for his people. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband. You see, the friend of the bridegroom loves the wedding party. He loves the bridegroom, and he also loves the bride. And I want you to know here in my very first sermon that I have come down here out of that love. I love Christ, but I love you guys. I, I care about you guys. I have taken the time to pray for every single one of you. Some of you are only a gray blob to me because you didn't get your picture in the directory. And I'm glad to see that you're in real color. Um... But I have have prayed that you would know the love of Christ. I am here to love you with the affections of Christ. That is my desire. However, like John says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. And we can never lose sight of that. There is always a temptation in ministry to assume that you can fix everything, that you can be the answer, that you can hold it together. You have to help me resist that temptation. I am not the Christ. Don't look at me in any way as the person who is your Christ. I can't be this because I am human and I am fallible and I am a sinner. If you look at me with all the hopes that you should have in Christ or the expectations that belong to Christ alone, I will fail you. And I will hurt you, and I don't want to do that. So as your minister, my love must not point you to myself. I must point you to Christ alone, who is the only one that we know from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is the same yesterday and today and forever. So let's now look at the second way that a friend... uh, of the bridegroom is is, is like a minister. Like the friend works for the success of the wedding, my duty as a minister is to call you into the union with Christ. Again, John tells us in verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him. He is very much involved in the ceremony of the wedding. He is working to bring that wedding to pass. The, the best man makes sure that the rings are there, make sure that all of the arrangements are made, make sure that the groom is ready to show up and the bride is ready to show up and the wedding party is there. He's kind of the guy who just makes sure that everything is going right behind the scenes. That's what a good best man is supposed to be. And so he is bringing, his ministry is to bring the bride to the bridegroom to experience that union with Christ. And you guys have all been part of weddings you've all seen weddings you've you've been in that pristine moment where everybody's sitting together waiting for the bride to show up and then the music the trumpets they sound and everybody t- stands up they turn around and the door opens this is the moment where the bride is presented and she is beautiful isn't she it's always the best moment the bride is in her white And she is glorious and pristine and everything is in its proper place. And that's the best moment of of most weddings. But that is not the wedding between the bride and the bridegroom that we have in Scripture. You see, when the doors open in this wedding, your jaw drops. Because instead of a beautiful, pristine uh, bride ready for her wedding day, there is a person haggard and stained, and defiled, and shamefully presented. And you gasp. And instead of saying, wow, you're, you're saying her? That one is the bride. Because you see, the moment in the wedding with the bridegroom that gets all of the glory is not the presentation of the bride. It is when the bridegroom comes to the bride in all of her defilement, in all of her pollutedness, in all of her corrupted flesh. And he puts his arm around her, taking her stains, taking her defilement, taking all that that holds her back, taking that from her and covering her with his splendor. In the book of Ezekiel, we are told when, when God comes to his bride, he spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. Your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. You see, the magnificent moment in the the gospel is not the moment that you say, I am the bride. It is the moment that the bridegroom covers you in his splendor. The moment you turn to him, he covers you and makes you white as snow. It It is the glory of Christ that he shares with you. The amazing gift of the gospel is then union with Christ. All that defiles you, Christ takes upon himself and pays for on his cross. And all that Christ is and all that Christ has is yours through union to him in the gospel. One of the most succinct statements of this in scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For your sake, Christ, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean for for a church? It means that as we preach the gospel, we preach it to everyone. We offer the gospel to everyone. We don't put anything in their way from receiving Christ because Christ is the one that will clothe them in all of the beautiful vestments that they need to stand before God. And so As a church, the bride is not someone who is beautiful in themselves, but is someone who is made beautiful through their devotion and their commitment to Christ. All are invited to be part of the bride of Christ because Christ provides all that we need to be his bride. So then as a minister, my job is the same as the friends. I am to work for the I do between the bride and the bridegroom. And how do I seek to do that? I seek weekly to come to you and pronounce to you again and again Christ's I do to you. Christ's promise to be faithful to you regardless of what has happened in the week between the last time we met. Christ promises all of the promises of God are fulfilled in his I do to you. And there is never a place, there is never a point in any one of your lives where Christ does not renew his I do. I will be faithful. I will sanctify. I will secure you. I will cover you in my garment. His I do is fresh. It has been the same yesterday and today and forever. And so for all of you, Regardless of where you have been, regardless of where you have come, regardless of what you have fallen into, the Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, still says, I do to you. He will be yours always and forever. And because of that great promise, which I preach with all the vigor I can, my my challenge to you, my, my task to you, what I work on to persuade you is to call you into saying your I do to him. I want to persuade you to recommit yourself week in and week out, my I do to Christ. Because when you say your I do to Christ, all that defiles you, all that makes you shamed, falls away, and you are covered in the splendor of Christ. So I call you again and again, renew yourself, renew your faith, renew your repentance. Continually say I do to Christ, because his I do is faithful. I love in a wedding the final vow, the final thing that we say as we get married, till death do us part till death do us part. I remember my wife on our honeymoon saying to me as I was drinking breakfast, I had a cup of orange juice in my hand. She said, we're married forever. And I dropped my orange juice. (laughs) And I said, uh, till death. Those words were actually... (laughs) helpful to me for some reason that first morning, to remember that we've only committed till death. Death does bring an end to marriage, and, uh, and that is true between all humans, except that when we come to Christ... There is no death in him that will ever stop his I do to you. When he says I do to you, it's I do forever. It's I do always. Christ's vow can never be broken. It is impossible then for his bride, once they have said I do to him, to ever be separated from his love. Paul tells us in his last epistle, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. When you join the bride of Christ, Christ's vows to you are, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we look then finally at the third way, the friend rejoices in the bridegroom. The the friend of the bridegroom is similar to the minister. The friend rejoices in the bridegroom's voice. The gospel minister finds his joy in hearing and submitting to the word of Christ. We see John the Baptist conclude by saying, He rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. My joy is now complete. Now we need to remember the moment that John is in. John's ministry has been successful, but he has seen many people go and join uh, Jesus and become his disciple. And his disciples are wondering, is this, is this a good thing? Uh, it seems like we're losing prestige. It seems like we're, we're falling behind in the, uh, in, in the game of, of having the largest ministry. And John had been used to a ministry where everybody hung on his every word. He was the first one to speak the word of God in 400 years. And so many hung on John's every word. But John was not focused on himself. That was not where his joy was. His joy was not in how many people listened to him. Instead, John tells us that he hung on every word of Christ. The bridegroom's voice gives him great joy. Hearing the bridegroom's voice makes his joy complete. His greatest joy was in hearing Christ and helping others hear Christ. Well, there is no better uh, exhortation to your minister than to be one who loves and rejoices in the Word of Christ and calls you to love and rejoice in the Word of Christ. It's not my wisdom. It's not my ideas that I want you excited about. It's what your bridegroom speaks to you again and again in the Scriptures that you find your joy, that you find your comfort, that you find your satisfaction, your peace, and all your expectations placed in what your bridegroom says to you in the Scriptures. I was saved by reading the Word. I was trying to walk away from uh, my Christian upbringing, and so I decided that what I needed to do as part of that was to know the Bible so that I would know why I could walk away from it. And I committed to reading through the Bible And I thought that I could pick it apart. But as I read that Bible through the Gospels, I heard a voice that I could not not hear. I heard the voice of someone who loved me, someone who called out the need for my forgiveness, who warned me of a life of forsaking him, of deserting him, of walking away from him, I heard the voice of the bridegroom and there was a day while I was taking the shower and I just fell apart and I recognized the voice of the bridegroom was the voice I wanted to follow for the rest of my life and I gave my life to this bridegroom in that shower and I have loved the word of Christ ever since. And I seek to always stoke that joy because this is, as Peter says, the words of eternal life. And so I believe as a minister, my task is to live out what it means to be a joyful student of the word of God so that you too will say, take up and read and find the voice of the bridegroom in, in your scriptures. My joyful duty then is to preach and teach the word. All right. So as we come close to a conclusion, somewhere close to a conclusion, I am called to be the friend of the bridegroom. And so I say again to you, don't hope in me. Hope in the one I proclaim, Jesus Christ, your bridegroom. However, I am not the only friend of the bridegroom here today because you know who the best friend of the bridegroom is? It's the bride. Every single one of us that uh, is in Christ is a friend of the bridegroom. And so all that I have said as a minister of the gospel today is equally true to all of us who are united to Christ by the gospel. We must be committed to making Christ central as a church, to proclaiming his gospel to the world, and to rejoicing in his word in every circumstance. It is my hope That we as a church do not become known for how neat we are or how great we are or how awesome the things we do are, but that we become known for how beautiful and powerful and glorious is the bridegroom we proclaim. Are you ready to join in that adventure? John concludes with profound words that should encourage us as we face the future together. John says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, John tells us. This is necessary. It is is the divine imperative. Jesus must increase. There is no option, but Jesus increases. It is God's will, it will happen. And I find in this word for us today great encouragement for the church, the bride. Because those who are united to Christ will share in Christ's increase. The future of the bride of Christ is greater than any of the glory from her past, including any of the glory from this congregation's past. Because Christ increases, and we are the bride of Christ. Let us look forward together to a future of increasing Christ in this community. Finally, I have to ask, have you responded to Christ with your I do of faith? Have you recognized your sinfulness, your need for forgiveness? Christ has come to wash you clean, to sanctify you, to present you to himself pure and blameless and holy. You can be part of the bride of Christ simply by calling out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul gives clear instructions. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My river family of faith, you are the bride of Christ. Rejoice with me in your bridegroom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful picture of Christ's love for us. That it is a love that comes all the way from heaven and goes all the way to bearing your wrath to bring us to you without blemish, without spot to make us holy in your sight. Father, I pray that you would help us to see our role as friend of the bridegroom and to recognize all our privileges as the bride of Christ. Father, help us to know that Christ's I do is always renewed and there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ who says I do to all who respond to him in faith. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has not made their I do to Christ, who has not said, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I need forgiveness. Please save me. Father, that you would work upon their heart, that you would draw them to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead and to know that Jesus, I do, is there for them too. I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.